This podcast is a member of WGPRN, wildgamesproductions.com. Welcome, folks, to Darker Days Podcast, and we are back after a nice little break there. This is show number Ocho. That's Ocho number eight. I'm here, Vince, uh, and my co-host, Mark, is sitting by with his refreshing finger, ready to answer all the emails. Mark, how are you doing yes, today? I'm doing great, Vince. Great to be back after a nice holiday. Refreshing finger, all rested, which is good because we have a uh, very large bag of mail this week. Yes, we do, and uh, I'm sure your refreshing finger has to catch up because I sent you about 101 emails. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have a special, special guest just us today, uh, Mr. Eddie Webb from White Wolf. Uh, he has his own blogcast for White Wolf. Eddie, want to say hello to everyone out there? Hello, everyone out there. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be joining us for the show, giving us his insight on everything and his expertise. What that may be, we don't know. No, I'm kidding. He'll be giving us our expertise. I really have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I'm making it up as I go along. You well, are... that makes three of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do every week. Uh, this is episode number eight, so we've been bullshitting the whole time. <laughs> All right, let's get on to our mail call. Mark, what's you reach inside that bag? What do we got in there? Oh, great set of mails, and they, they date back a couple of weeks as well due to the, the summer vacation that I uh, went away on. Um, mm-hmm. But look, first and foremost, uh, before we get into the mailbag, again, a huge thanks again to Phil Wheatley, who sent us another donation to the site. Fantastic. Just fantastic. Thank you so much, Phil. Um, and from now on, we will need to rename the show Phil Wheatley Presents Darker Days Radio. So, uh, yes. thank you. <laughs> Phil Presents Ocho, number eight. <laughs> I don't know. I'm stuck on the Ocho thing today. Yeah, well, you've got a whole show to get it out of your system, so. Um, yeah, so thanks, Phil. That's that's great stuff there. Great stuff. Uh, congratulations go out to Bog and Knight and his wife, who've just become parents again now for the third time. Uh, Bog and Knight was able to catch up on our show while in the maternity ward, um, waiting for his daughter to emerge, which makes him the current and only holder of the Strangest Place You've Listened to Darker Days Award. <laughs> nice. uh, he, uh, he a challenge now. <laughs> Yeah, 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 well, he set the bar pretty high, hasn't he? You know, so. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, he also made that cool bumper you guys may have heard last episode. Um, and he sent in some suggestions about setting up an Amazon store through our site. So that way we could provide links to books that we talk about and allow listeners to buy the book in question with only a few clicks. And apparently we would get a small commission, uh, which is kind of cool. So uh, thanks for the heads up there, Bog and Knight. We'll have to look into that. Oh, and he also asks uh, what happened to our campaign updates. Uh, in my case, uh, summer happened mainly. I should be uh, hooking back up with my group and hope to have an update next show. Uh, Vince, what about you? Is your game off the ground still? or uh? Actually, we've uh, moved into uh, doing a Mortals game right now, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. Okay, cool. Um, James Snowden wrote in. He's looking for advice for his Old World of Darkness vampire game. Uh, James is new to storytelling, and his campaign, he intends to deal a lot with the Giovanni clan. Now, he wants to use the harbingers of skulls as the main antagonists which ultimately he's wanting to be the uh, surviving Cappadocians who were trapped in the cave by Cappadocius when he was cleansing the clan of undesirables. Bit of a uh, old vampire backstory for you there. Anyway, the problem is he doesn't want the players to be too crushed by the sheer power of the Harbingers. Um, and he's trying to think of ways to introduce this 
powerful group of enemies subtly, which is where he's having trouble. Um, mainly, he doesn't want to make it too obvious. He's already sent uh, uh, some questions in, and me and Vince have sent some suggestions back his way, um, such as you know maybe they can the characters can encounter ghouls first, or you could have uh, a vampire who's severely weakened by having been locked away in this cave for a long time. Makes him not such an overpowering antagonist for your initial players. Um, but anyway, if any of the listeners would be willing to share their ideas as to uh, how to subtly go about this without revealing too much too fast, then go ahead and uh, post that up at the forums or uh, send in a mail and uh, we'll uh, throw your advice uh, back James's way um, and our email by the way is uh, darkerdaysradio at gmail.com or you can go to our website darkerdays.tk or wildgamesproductions.com and slash forums and you can chat us up there yes okay. indeed that, that, um, I also wanted to say Mark that James game uh, James's game sounds like a great game for Wolfman Jack to come make his uh, second appearance yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chainsaw wielding vampire. <laughs> yes, I'm going to take your carefully crafted chronicle and I'm going to throw it out the window. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, moving on, Jade Torres wrote actually a while back and our spam folder ate it. So apologies for the, <laughs> the slow reply there, Jade. Um, she's talking about her blog and her coverage of the Fontenelle Cemetery. Now, we covered this a few episodes back on the Secret Frequency, the uh, Skull Cult of Maples, if you remember. Um, but Go over to her site and check out deadair.blog.com for more awesome details on the place, as well as a whole bunch of other cool inspiration for the world of darkness. Uh, great little site, that. Deadair.blog.com. Take uh, a look. Yeah, I was reading through some of the stuff. She has some interesting things you can apply to your game. So. It's really well put together yeah. as well. Very high production values, uh, lots of pictures, and a nice layout. It's good. Uh, speaking of the secret frequency, we've got a cool mail from uh, Caitlin, a friend of Galen, uh, who chose the name for the secret frequency. Uh, Caitlin will be starting a Changeling the Lost game soon and is looking for advice for beginning storytellers. Uh, now, we pitched out our first part of the storyteller advice section last week, and we've got part two coming along uh, later in the show where we're going to talk about uh, how you might deal with with a group of characters who are basically different kinds of supernaturals. You know, your classic a vampire, a werewolf, and a mage walk into a bar type situation. My advice for you, Caitlin, take the book and throw it out and just have fun. Mm. Um, Alakov writes, he's asking about the show schedule. So, yeah, we, uh, we've mentioned that way, way back in episode one or two. Um, basically, we're recording every two weeks uh, on a Wednesday or Thursday night, and the show goes out on the, either that night or the next couple of days. Um, Summer's thrown a few spanners in the works, however, so our schedule's all over the place at the moment. Um, so just keep your eyes posted on the forums or uh, subscribe to the podcast, and it'll download right away for you. That's right. Once you subscribe through iTunes, every time an episode comes out, it'll just download for you right away. Or I think there's a couple iPod catchers out there that'll do it for you. Either way, you'll mm. get it whenever we produce it. Indeed. Um, Alakoff also has some cool suggestions for the Storyteller's Advice section, so thanks for that, and we'll get on to those in future shows. Uh, I had a mail from Dominic who said thanks for the cool responses and advice he's received following his questions from last episode, uh, and we'll have more on that subject, as I said just now, later uh, in, uh, in the Storyteller Advice section. Mark, you're full of later, later, later. What's going on? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Don't put off until tomorrow what you can do the day after. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> now, in addition to sending us vast piles of cash, uh, Phil also sent in an awesome true story, uh, which he was reminded of by last show's Secret Frequency, which you may recall was about uh, a hair collector. Um, 
Phil says he used to work in a cinema about 15 years ago called the Palace Cinema in Dorset, down in England. Uh, at the time, they had a really strange manager called Ken, a nice enough guy, but it's fair to say he was a bit smelly. Uh, he used to wear the same sweater for a month, and then uh, at the end of the month, he'd turn it inside out yeah. and wear it for the next month. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, bad social skills or top tips for dressing? You decide. Now, the slightly, the slightly creepy thing, apart from the, the, the yucky sweater, is that Ken used to live in a sleeping quarters behind the stage of the cinema itself in a locked room. Um, as a side note, by the way, there were other areas back there. Um, there sometimes used to be live performances, pantomimes, plays, and there were changing rooms at the back where women could change, uh, do last-minute pruning of their bikini line for those skimpy leotards, etc. And this will... This will be of importance later in the story. Okay, so fast forward a year, and poor Ken died, and it was left to Phil and his mate to sort out his room. Um, Unfortunately, they didn't know where his key was, so they had to kick the door down, uh, which is harder than it looks in the movies. And as the door flew open, the first thing that struck them was that the entire wall was covered in centerfolds from a certain type of adult magazine, uh, literally wallpapered, ceiling to floor, wall to wall. Uh, But what really freaked them out was this mannequin doll that he had in the middle of the room, uh, complete with a head and makeup, etc. But wait for it, her nether regions had a very authentic looking muff, which was a collage of different people's pubic hair, which Ken had gathered from the female changing rooms and taken back to his own little room for whatever pleasures awaited him. Delightful. (laughs) That's fantastic. (laughs) That is disgusting. It's just a horrible story. I mean, I knew a guy who used to keep his toenail clippings and navel fluff in a little jar, uh, but that's got nothing on the muff collector. I mean, uh, oh my god. Absolutely not. That's disgusting. Damn. It's like one step away from the serial killer from Seven, you know? I mean, oh my god. <laughs> and, and for Phil, for your friend that kicked down that door, uh, can I hire him? Because, you know, I can use a good bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, those are our, those are our uh, letters this week uh, over the summer. Um, plenty to keep us busy there. I also want to give shouts out to uh, yeah, Gaith, uh, Matt Buffington, or Miller, Zimmy, Warchild, Gotham Lord, Thantrax, Pengarth, Doctor Ether, Niu Kami, Ferenik, Zorlak, Anatole, Jabri, and Griffin, our newest members over at the forums. Uh, so as you can see, things are moving along fast there. Um, and also, uh, also a shout out for a Gotham Lords play by post game, uh, oh, yeah. which looks extremely exciting. Uh, actually, yeah, it's a it's a Mortals game, and you're in Gotham City, and uh, you're pretty much uh, just uh, defending the night, taking things over, taking things back. It's uh, really awesome. I'm having fun playing in it. And he's uh, he also has over on Mythweavers too, but he came to our forums especially because I demanded it. But no, I'm just kidding. I asked him to come over, and he he's doing a separate game for our players over there as well. Well, what I liked about it was there was this idea that Bruce Wayne uh, is effectively crippled. Uh, you know, uh, is he, he's confined to a wheelchair or something, can only use one arm. I think that was what the, uh, the background was. Yeah, uh, and he never took up the mantle of Batman, so there was never ever a Batman. So Exactly, yeah. And uh, uh, isn't it Dick Grayson has some kind of uh, special squad within the police, and that's what the characters are part of. Well, it's not the police don't really know about the task force. It's just they're, okay. They're you know no uh, Commissioner Loeb has no idea about it, and uh, you know he's doing it on the side secretly. Oh. So, and then we have some network news, Mark. Yeah, uh, did you see that we uh, got a new show while you were gone? I- 
I guess uh, you did. We got the. Mark seems to be having a little bit of technical difficulties. Eddie, you still with me? Yeah, I'm here. Well, we'll just have to uh, hold on until we get Mark back because he'll be joining us momentarily. Well, now we got the technical difficulties out of the way and Mark back with us. I was like I was saying, we have uh, a new show on our network. Mark, did you see that? Yeah, I listened to that when I was uh, away on vacation. That was very good. Wonderful movie reviews. Now playing, I seem to recall it's named. Uh, now playing with Matt Buffington and uh, his wife, Olivia. Excellent. So welcome to the uh, to the network, guys. And a great little show. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to episode number two when you guys produce that and uh, see what movies you uh, tell us about. Yeah, indeed. I think that's about it for that. Oh, we have some White Wolf news this week, Mark. Did you see that? Uh, the uh, Mage PDF bundle for at drive through is uh, out? Yeah, Sanctum and Sigil and uh, the Lines of Power uh, story. They're good products, whatever version of the game you play. I got lots of inspiration from my Mage the Ascension game from Sanctum and Sigil. Some good stuff in there. And it seems that at Gen Con, uh, White Wolf walked away with a bunch of uh, awards. Uh, Two. Yeah, I don't know if that qualifies as a bunch, but... (laughs) Hey, that's more than one, but a bunch. You got got seven nominations. That was good, yeah. Uh, So that's... Pardon? 14 nominations. 14? Oh, okay. I miscounted. Um, At any rate, the Silver Award for Best Regalia for for The Art of Exalted uh, went to White Wolf, and also Gold for the Best Ebook, which was uh, for Collection of Horrors, Razor Kids. Uh, So congratulations, White Wolf, and uh, also congratulations to all the other winners, of course. And special congrats go to All Games Considered and Order 66, who won gold and silver, respectively, for the best podcast. And we'll be snapping at your heels next year, guys. Oh, yeah, I know the guys over at the Order 66, GM Dave and GM Chris, and uh, they have a really good quality show, but, you know, of course, we could do better. So. There is time. <laughs> Correct. We have a whole year now. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess that wraps things up. Uh, with that, let's move on to uh, Mark's favorite segment in the show, and everybody's favorite segment they look forward to every week. Really scary children. Horrible, horrible. Welcome to the Secret Frequency, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, this week we're going to look into the mysterious world of gravity anomalies. Now, this topic was suggested by one of our listeners, so thanks for that. And the concept is a simple one and needs little description. Uh, Simply put, gravity anomalies are places in the world where gravity does not seem to work as you'd expect it. Water rolls uphill. Cars follow likewise. Uh, To all appearances, to all intents and purposes, the laws of physics have been overthrown. Well, some of them, anyway. Um, now, there are a lot of these places scattered around the world. Uh, Gravity Hill, near Bedford, Pennsylvania. Uh, two spots on the hill. Gravity seems to work in reverse. Cars, water, bottles, all will apparently roll uphill. Uh, Altadena, California. Jacob's Crossing in Texas. Haunted Church of Bucks County, also in Pennsylvania. Uh, all places that seem to have this strange uh, reversal of gravity going on. Yeah, that's right near me, Mark. Is it not far from where you are? No, I've been there many times, especially the uh, the gravity thing. That is really weird. Mm, That's the freakiest strange. thing. You've, and there's also uh, something out there also in the woods that if you start walking down a path, it sounds like somebody's following you in the woods. Creepy. Yeah, I, I did it, creepy. and I heard the noise in the back. I was like, whoa. 
Well, some people have suggested that the origin of these enchanted roads uh, is to be found in gravitational anomalies in the region or an incredible magnetic attraction produced by masses of iron material in nearby volcanoes. Um, yeah, often the uh, objects affected are uh, well, they're things, things like rubber balls and glass bottles and uh, water, uh, which is you know, not overly magnetic at the best of times. <laughs> Uh, and others, of course, they offer a more supernatural explanation. Uh, there's a site in Portugal, uh, Braga. It's said to have gained its ability from a spell cast long ago. Uh, Labouring villagers, having grown tired of carrying heavy burdens uphill, reversed the incline's gravitational direction through magic. Uh, and their intention is said simply to have been to make transporting loads up the hill far easier. So uh, a good mundane application of... Uh, the mysterious there um, and others offer even spookier explanations uh, locals will often take advantage of these strange places expecting to lure tourists with urban legends uh, they might connect the site to some terrible car accident of several years ago uh, or claim that vehicles are at the mercy of a restless spirit and uh, there's one location in new jersey in fact that's supposed to be haunted by a farmer's ghost that aims to keep vehicles off of his land uh, now, the majority of these magic slopes have much more earthly explanations than subterranean magnets or mischievous ghosts. Many such locations are merely optical illusions. Uh, the visible horizon line and layout of the surrounding area can make the magic slope appear to be more of an incline than actually exists. Uh, you know, it could lead the passerby to the illusion that the hill ascends, when in reality it's dropping. Uh, or these so-called magic places could present a slope that deceives the sense of vision, but is easily explained with a leveling tool. So uh, in this illusion, objects that seem to roll uphill are simply following the known laws of physics, uh, as the impartial bubble of a spirit level reveals. Uh, but as our eyes still continue to deceive us, even after this proof has been shown, some still question whether the spirit level's bubble could itself be at the mercy of an enchanted force. Now, of course, in the world of darkness, it's not going to be an illusion at all. Giant subterranean magnets are the order of the day. Uh, so you can have areas where supernatural powers don't work as expected in your game. Uh, vampiric disciplines could go awry, uh, spells run amok, paradox could be more powerful, or be entirely absent. Actually, uh, Old Mage, the Ascension, had a cool mechanic called Paradox Zones uh, that could reflect this. Maybe it's an entirely magic dead area used by supernatural beings as neutral ground. Uh, in a place like that, the spirits might punish those who break the peace. Uh, it could be a shallowing, a place where the barrier between the material and spiritual worlds is thinned to zero. Mischievous spirits could easily cross over and play havoc with uh, well, pretty much whatever they find. Uh, it could be a place where enchanted items take on a life of their own, irrespective of their owner's wishes. And you can leave the reasons behind these phenomena uh, unknown. Keep them mysterious. Uh, make it an odd but interesting spot in your chronicle, a spooky landmark and little more. But, of course, there is even more mileage in exploring the cause of such events. Uh, in the world of darkness, maybe they're only the surface side effects of something much worse, like uh, an earthbound demon, uh, a slumbering Methuselah or antediluvian vampire, a mage lost in paradox. These entities' subconscious urges could be more than enough to cause the phenomena, never mind their actual active desires. Maybe it's a side effect of some kind of spatial temporal disturbance. 
And maybe it's an echo of uh, some such disturbance that has yet to happen. You know, echoes from the future, so to speak. And the closer that you get to zero hour, the more pronounced the phenomena become. You could have premonitions of an earthquake or uh, foresight of an incursion from the spirit world or the working of powerful magic sending ripples in all directions backward and forward through time. Or maybe it just really is a giant subterranean magnet, uh, a hidden technocracy base, a lost lab of the sons of ether, a forgotten Atlantean artifact. And if this is the case, or if some creature really is buried there, what sort of folks might be interested in digging it up? So, next time that you're out in the wilds, you notice things are not as they should normally be, or feel hidden forces pulling at you from the earth, or witness events that defy the laws of nature, don't be afraid, it's probably just the Magnetotron being test-run by the Serpent People from the Hollow Earth, and you're perfectly safe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there you have it, Gravity Anomalies, fun for all the family, although I have to say, uh, Phil's story about the Muff Collector is much, much cooler. Yeah, Phil. I think Phil topped every story possible this week. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not going to beat that one. I don't think we're ever going to beat Phil's story. Phil, thank you for that story. Uh, it gave me a good laugh and a gross-out session. And even my wife, I had to tell that story about, and she's like, that's disgusting, and walked away. <laughs> that's all she did. <laughs> you must not take money from this man again. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I can't help it. I mean, he likes the show. I mean, if he's going to support the show, Mark. I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Exactly. I mean, it'd be nice. Maybe you know, some people from White Wolf give us. No, never mind. <laughs> oh, the cheek! <laughs> One of my really bad subliminal messages, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, that wraps up the secret frequency for this week. Uh, it's quite interesting, Mark. Where you find these things, I don't know. Well, this one was suggested on the board, so I went and did a bit of research around it, and yeah, uh, it seems to be a fairly large number of them in your neck of the woods, as it happens, Vince. So, well, yeah, like I was go. saying, yeah, there, there's a ton of stuff in Pennsylvania. I mean, I hate that one question that people should stop asking me. Where are you like Transylvania, Pennsylvania? All right, enough of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I keep getting that question. Yay! Um, anyway, let's let's move on to our old world of darkness, or classic, like Mark likes to say. It. Our our topic of discussion this week is going to be. Uh, population control or population matters. Eddie, what do yeah. you think if uh, about controlling population in your games? Do you have any suggestions about that, like modifying in a certain way before we get into the discussion? Interesting is, um, uh, I'm going to explain what's happening in the story real quick. When I did my interview for White Wolf, I talked to Rich Thomas, and one of the questions he asked me was, how many vampires do you think should be in a city? And I was like, uh, I don't know, 75, 80, 100, and the answer, he said, the answer's wrong. The answer's always whatever works for your chronicle. Right, and yeah. so that's one thing I was kept in mind, especially as I've been developing products, is because uh, I've heard of people who run very successful games where there's like hundreds of vampires in their courts in a relatively small town, and I've, on the other hand, seen people run really awesome games where there's like maybe five vampires in huge metropolitan areas. So really, it depends on what kind of story you want to tell and picking the right amount of supernatural creatures to really get that story across. Right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and you know that's that's the kind of thing we're wanna, we're looking at here. Um, changing the population, you know, making it higher, making it lower, has an immediate and far-reaching effect upon the, upon your chronicle completely. You can totally change the feel and nature of the game by altering that one element. Mm. Absolutely. Um, now, personally, I I, can't, I come to this from. Uh, from a position of a, of a gripe, really. I've always had the feeling that in Old World of Darkness and in New, uh, the 
the quote unquote official figures for uh, uh, population levels are, are too high um, and I always dial them back considerably in all the games that I run uh, like you say it's whatever works for any individual storyteller um, but some of the issues that the large populations of supernaturals can, can raise in the game, uh, a large population more or less demands a, a high level of supernatural activity. So, you know, you're going to have um, large societal structures active. Uh, if you're going to have a, a city with a 50 or 60 or 100 vampires, uh, that's a large number of powerful individuals running around doing their thing. Um, and if you if you go for a certain amount of uh, verisimilitude in your game, it's hard to ignore the impact of how, of such a large uh, population. You know, if you want to focus your game on a small group, uh, inevitably your players are going to ask, "Well, what are these other guys doing?" Uh, you know, better to st strip them out of the picture than kind of hand wave them away the whole time. I think anyway. Oh yeah. Um, I, I sometimes find that it can dilute the individuality of, of individual characters due to a kind of cookie cutter uh, approach to, to, to building say a vampire or a mage um, because you have these large numbers of supernaturals uh, it follows semi-logically that you're going to have societies around them, you know, you're going to have a Camarilla or you're going to have covenants or you're going to have traditions or, uh, or orders of mages or what have you um, and uh, my feeling, my experience is that the players will often plug their character concept into one of these pre-existing social groups um, so they'll, they'll come at the game and be like well I, I want to play uh, an Ordo Dracul uh, vampire or I want to play someone who is this particular kind of mage or uh, and I, pref I prefer to come at things from the, you know, from the character first and then see where he might go as opposed to start with a, a broader concept like that. I don't know how, how you guys look at that though. Well yeah, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because uh, I, I come from a lot of this from a live-action perspective. I've played live-action a lot more than I've played tabletop. And so in live-action, you have kind of the opposite situation where you really want to have a reason for a lot of characters to get together because the game really starts taking off when you get those 30, 40, 50, 100, 200 pe person games going. You get a really strong dynamic. And so that's why I really kind of gripe with the whole whatever works for your game. But on the, on the other hand, uh, I ran a Victorian Age game uh, back in the old world darkness, and one of the things we kept running into as a problem is, why is this really ancient vampire in London? Because it, a lot of the problems that were going on in Victorian England, if you really start digging in into, like, you know, this is what was going on at the time, there's not a lot of reasons for vampires really to hang around except for the fact that it's cool to play a vampire in Victorian England. That's really the only reason. Yeah. And so we had to kind of end up uh, juggling it, and so in, in the game I ran at the time, it ended up being a lot of uh, venture in Malkavians. The venture kind of because this is our land, and we've had it for all this time, so we're going to keep it. And Malkavians, just because of all of the, uh, um, uh, uh, the people get culture shock of the Industrial Revolution, and they're really kind of gravitated towards that. So uh, uh, again, looking at that population control and why these creatures are here really helped to shape the tone of the game. So you're absolutely right. It, it goes back and forth. How, you, how many vampires or how many supernaturals you have in a game will shape the scope of the game, and vice versa, uh, how you approach the game and how you play the game may end up informing how many vampires really end up being in this particular area. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, it, when, when, you, when you cut the population, for example, in a tabletop game, because your point about a LARP game benefiting from a huge group uh, is, uh, I totally agree with you there. Uh, at the table, though, you know, you can, you can ditch the, the large 
cumbersome supernatural societies. Uh, maybe you don't want to have a camera of it in your old World of Darkness game, you know, or uh, maybe you would rather not have the Orders of the Mages uh, the same the world over in your Mage the Awakening game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, well, carry on, man. I was going to say, um, uh, one, thing, one of the uh, first vampire games we played in way back in uh, 19... <laughs> is... <laughs> Uh, we actually play, we played a group of archons, uh, archon and their entourage. Oh, cool! And so we'd go from city to city, city dealing with problems, and we never have to worry about how many vampires in the court or whatnot. Because uh, if we have a lot of uh, uh, supernatural creatures that are not player characters in a society, ultimately you're going to have the storyteller talking to himself a lot, and nobody nobody enjoys that. No, not even the storyteller. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, you can also uh, break the structure of the uh, the chronicle or of the of the game world into small groups or individuals, and my feeling is this returns a, a degree of mystery to the core game. Uh, it gives the storyteller much more freedom in devising plots. You know, you don't need to worry about the Camerata or the technocracy or the seers of the throne. You've got your small cabal uh, of characters and whatever other little groups they encounter. Uh, but these huge global spanning organizations with a global reach uh they just they just you know they wouldn't exist so for example in vampire uh if you removed i'm talking about just old world of Vam- uh, world of darkness briefly here if you remove for example the camarillo or the sabbat or or any of the large covenants from the new game uh, the game then becomes about small groups of vampires who may or may not know each other's powers or origins or affiliations. Uh, and it becomes much more like the sources of inspiration for the game, like Anne Rice's books or Brian Lumley's books. Mm. Now, while these books, for example, they've got, they do have groups of vampires and quite large ones, for example, like the, the Theater of the Vampires in Anne Rice's books. However, there are no global conspiracies or vast political structures. It gives you a much more down-to-earth game, yeah, which I quite like. The prince chomping at your boots every five seconds. Right, right, exactly. Um, now, for, for mage, uh, you could you can cut the population drastically uh, as far back as uh, one mage per million, um, and you no longer have a game about clubs of uh, ethnic super beings. Um, you know, it makes <laughs> it makes no sense. For example, that a Siberian shaman should have too much in common with a Mexican brujo. Uh, so, you know, you now get games that are about the cabal and again this ties into source material like uh, books like Clive Barker's Imagica or Books of the Art uh, they're epic tales to be sure but they've got a very tight focus about a very small group of people um, now there are some games you know like uh, Guru and uh, uh, and and Wraith uh, for Werewolf and uh, Wraith the Oblivion where high populations would actually work really well uh, Wraith in particular, uh, you know, with the teeming hordes of the dead, uh, uh, the idea of crossing the shroud, and all of a sudden you're in this immense civilization uh, for the dwarfs, anything that exists in the in the skinlands. I think that's a that's a reason to keep the population high. Uh, and although it gets bashed by some people, I found the idea in Werewolf of the Guru Nation to be a fascinating concept. Uh, I saw a very strong uh, cultural. Uh, I suppose, a cultural skinning to each of the tribes going on. Uh, so it, in my werewolf games, I tended to have, well, uh, this particular tribal werewolf is geographically located in this area. And if you move to another area, you know, you, you run across another tribe. Uh, with the Guru being another species, uh, they deserve to be treated that way. 
Um, now, other World of Darkness games, other old World of Darkness games, already work well with a small population. Uh, Hunter, uh, The Reckoning, and uh, Mummy are both great examples of tight, small population games. Uh, as for Demon, though, I, I'm not so sure. How, how would you say, Vince, that a radical change upwards or downwards in the population uh, would affect the Demon game? Well, I would probably say that not everything escaped during the Great War, and there's not every, like, all the hierarchy isn't floating around there. You could just say maybe, like, this one or two slipped out through the crack and wreaking heaven, uh, heaven, yeah, wreaking <laughs> havoc, I should say. Yes, Angel, no. Reaching havoc on the, uh, the Earth. I mean, that's the way I would handle that. I mean, would, instead of running into, like, you know, these hierarchies all the time, you run into no one and you just basically have your fun. Does does the demon uh, material presume that there's a large number of demons now out and about and running around? Um, if I remember correctly, there they did say that quite a bit of them escaped. Uh, Eddie, can you clarify that maybe a little bit more? Or? I, I was just gonna say, um, if I remember correctly, uh, it was that a fair number escaped, but also that they just recently escaped and were just rebuilding their society. Mm -hmm. So it really gave the implication that maybe a lot of demons didn't show up in your particular city, or maybe a whole bunch showed up in your city. I know LA particularly was kind of. Uh, in flux in terms of the social structures and whatnot. I know social structures really played second fiddle in Demon as opposed to some of our other Old World Darkest games. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think uh, looking at it from a, a metagame point of view, I can see why a game is, is written and created with these, these large social groups. Because simply put, it's easy for a player to tag onto that. Oh, okay, I see what the Order of Hermes is about. Okay, I, I understand what the Ravnos are doing here. All right, I want to be a Ravnos, or I want to be a, a, a Get of Fenris, you know? And they can chunk, tag onto that. Um, but having big social groups like that, uh, as I said a couple of minutes ago, kind of requires a large population, which then brings its own trouble. Uh, so I think if you dial back the population, you lower the level overall, uh, you also break up this, this kind of uh, uh, social construct and generally speaking, I, I found it to be extremely effective uh, in the, the games that I've been running. Mage, in particular, totally changes the feel of the mage game. Absolutely. You know, the current mage game I'm running, uh, we, we dialed the population back, and technocracy gone, traditions gone. With only one mage per million, you can't support an organization of the size of, of the traditions or the technocracy. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to see how, how it has an effect upon the, uh, upon the game as a whole. Well, I have to say one thing about Hunter the Reckoning. You don't need a lot of hunters. I mean, they're powerful enough as it was. I mean, mm -hmm. they could take out groups of vampires by themselves. I mean, some of those endowments and things that they had, forget about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that pretty much covers the, uh, the generalities of the, of the topic there. Um, if any of our listeners have considered this or tried it or uh, would like to see, or, you know want to try it out and play then uh, head on over to our forums or uh, drop us a, a line an email and let us know how it pans out on your games be interested to hear definitely that uh, what's our email again mark our email is darkerdaysradio at gmail.com just testing you make sure you know you just got back from vacation and also i've got a written in pen on my computer screen i think you should write <laughs> it on your hand no i'm just kidding <laughs> So when you're double-clicking the refresh ring, you can look down and see the email address. Yeah. Uh, pretty handy. That's right. we got a party going on here. Now we're moving on to our new World of Darkness, or the current World of Darkness. And, uh, Mark, you picked up uh, the Summoner's book, and you have a great review about that. Mm. I yeah, actually haven't had to open a chance to open the Summoner's book yet. I have it on my shelf with a bunch of other books. Like I remember quoting, oh, is it Matt McFarland? 
said that every book yeah. has a, a line with crack. Yeah. <laughs> I have to agree with him on that one because ever since it came out, every book that's come out, I've been buying and buying and buying. And my wife's just like, how many freaking books are you going to buy? So All of them. Yes. Is that a really bad <laughs> subliminal message there? What I like no. about the what I like about the you know, the new World of Darkness books, and the same goes for the for the recent D and D books as well, is the the covers are waterproof, you know, so you can spill something on them and it washes right off. So I figure when I get enough books and my wife gets fed up and kicks me out, I can build a house in my backyard out of my World of Darkness and D and D books. Yeah, you know, that- and my gi- my giant city of Tolis vinyl map, I'll put that over the top and I'm I'm, I'm set. <laughs> you know? how you could do the podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see. No, no plan uh, yeah. is uh, without its flaws. It wouldn't be darker days without Mark. So, <laughs> right, summoners. Yes, uh, and I've been promising this one for a couple of months as well. Uh, so we finally gotten around to it. Um, anyway, uh, it opens. It's it's for uh, Mage the Awakening, by the way, in case you're not familiar with it. And it opens with eight pages of fiction. Oh joy! Oh happy, happy day. Um, like regular, listen, regular listeners will know that, that no, I don't like it. <laughs> no, not I mean you. I said White Wolf likes to write their fiction. Oh yeah, they do. Um, now the book is about, um, simply put, summoning things. Uh, it expands and details existing methods of summoning and dealing with entities uh, from the spirit worlds, and provides some new methods of doing the same as well. It's not a guide to the homes of these creatures, uh, but it's a toolbox for dealing with them when they come into our universe. It can be used in its entirety, uh, or the storyteller can pick and choose which bits he wants in his game. Uh, So what's in it? Nothing. Well, (laughs) it's divided into uh, sections based on where the summoned creatures come from. Uh, The Fallen World, including Twilight, Shadow, and the Astral Reaches. Uh, The Supernal World, the Abyss and realms outside known reality. And there's also finally a chapter with a bucket load of crunch for handling all this stuff at the gaming table. Um, nice introduction, which finishes with a little lexicon. Uh, now, unlike Second Sight, which uh, we reviewed last show, uh, where I thought the lexicon in Second Sight was, yeah, a lot of it was superfluous, was obvious stuff. Uh, here, the lexicon is essential. Uh, Summoners is filled with kooky, esoteric terms that really need definition, so it's very good to see this come right at the start of the book. Um, Now, for each section uh, on the Fallen World, the Supernal World, the Abyss, etc., etc., each section starts with an overview of how the Pentacle Orders of Mages and Banishers interact with the creatures concerned, and it's followed by some sample entities from the realm being covered. And there are also sidebars scattered throughout the book. And as with other New World of Darkness books, these sidebars are great. I really like how sidebars are being used these days. Uh, here, as elsewhere, they mostly provide perspectives on differing rules applications. That's good stuff. Yeah, the sidebars have really uh, helped out quite a bit. I, I really appreciate them. Uh, they're just these little nuggets of goodness scattered yeah. throughout the book. Uh, it's yeah, a real joy to read. Definitely. Now, the section on the Fallen World realms... Uh, there's an interesting examination of how the realms of the fallen world interact and how inhabitants of the world of darkness see them. It's a great way to set the scene. Uh, the sample spirits in this section, they're, they're fantastic, really unusual in concept. You know, they're not just things like 
an owl spirit or a war spirit. Uh, there are things like the spirit of a no-entry no sign, an ancient spirit of riddles, the spirit of the intersection of 6th Avenue and Lake Street, which is a road traffic accident black spot, apparently. Uh, really original, unusual ideas for spirits there. That was very inspirational. Um, it talks about spirit royalty, godlike beings who are barely willing to acknowledge mages. Uh, the sample one they give of these is the Thunderer, who has been known variously as Thor, uh, Indra, Susanoo. You get the idea. Um, the spirit that appears with a different mask depending on its caller. Um, and it finishes with cryptids. Uh, these are spirits that would be at home in our own secret frequency segment. Uh, they appear as things from folklore like Bigfoot, uh, Grey Aliens, and the, uh, the Jersey Devil. Ooh, good legends. Yeah. Um, the sample ghosts are a bit more pedestrian. They're still usable, but they're not as outrageous in concept as the sample spirits. Uh, there's a nice section on ghost familiars, though, uh, with a new merit to give it mechanical bite. And we also get a look at the ghosts of the underworld rather than the ghosts of Twilight. Now, I loved this section. Oh, it was great. Uh, it has echoes of Wraithy Oblivion, but it's more strongly reminiscent of the labyrinth from the second Hellraiser movie, Hellbound. Uh, really, really, really very creepy. It also gives us uh, the Chthonians, uh, also known as the Neverborn, a term that will be very familiar to players of Wraith. Uh, and these are indeed awesome. Inhuman, alien, useful to players of new and old World of Darkness games alike. Um, astral summonings get a long introduction, which is needed because they're so damn strange, and readers might not yet have the incredibly excellent Astral Realms book, uh, which is an aside I recommend to players of Old Mage as much as to players of New Mage. It's utterly fantastic. Um, sample astral creatures here again, are incredibly imaginative. Uh, dream spirits called Morphians, uh, fragments of conscious thought. So you could meet Christie's hunger or you could meet Uther's happiness. Um, Large-scale astral concepts given form. You could meet the spirit of indivisibility, meet the spirit of eco-friendliness. Insanity spirits, um, ever wanted to meet paranoia? Things that live in the gauntlet, demons from the lower depths, just fantastic stuff. Uh, a brilliant opening... Uh, section to the book moving on to the supernal realms uh, it's a tough subject you know by definition supernal is removed from the real world from common experience so uh, so how do you bring this kind of transcendent mystery across in a game well it's uh, unsurprisingly esoteric uh, new concepts introduced and new ways to handle the supernal it's complicated and it takes a good bit of reading to fully grasp it's, it's not light fluffy reading matter uh, but it's worth the effort, and it gives you a workable, workable handle on having the supernal manifest in your game. For something that's, that's so removed from the standard mage universe, the supernal realms, it can be kind of tricky for a beginning mage uh, storyteller to get a, get a grasp on. Um, so this is, this is the place to look, to really see it in play, you know, on, on the page in front of you. you know, some of it's easier to get a handle on than others. Angels, for example, are a straightforward enough concept to grasp. And they're dealt with well. Fey, likewise, are as you'd expect, as are the demons and wraiths of pandemonium. However, atavisms, they're called atavisms, which are like beast spirits, they're a little stranger. And they wouldn't be out of place in, I don't know, an old Planescape game. Um, the denizens of Stygia are the strangest, though, and they're my favorite for this section. Uh, spectres and aperons, they're called great concepts. The shades of matter and death, fantastic additions to any game. Really good. And then it moves on to the abyss. Yeah. Now, yeah. The abyss. Uh, 
Indeed. We get a close look at the Akamoth, which they're the voidborn spirits trapped in the material world. But we also get to meet the Ghoulmoth, the inhabitants of the Abyss proper. There's great, great treatment on summoning and dealing with these, and a very convincing look at why a mage would be crazy enough to want to have anything to do at all with these horrible, horrible creatures. Uh, the sample Gulmoth are outlandish and utterly cool, with names like the Moor of Long Sorrows, the Third of Two, and the Gears of Chaos. It's clear that we're dealing with some wacky concepts here, uh, and they work. There are lots of sample gulmoths, far more examples than in any other chapter, and it's cool to see them fleshed out in such detail. Each one is enough to fuel several sessions of play, some an entire chronicle. Very cool. Uh, the final section deals with things from beyond known existence. Uh, and again, if you were tuning into our last show, this, you'll see this is re reminiscent of the final chapter of the Second Sight book. Um, but it doesn't feel out of place here. In Second Sight, I thought that the Cthulhu section, although brilliant, was a little bit misplaced. Uh, here, though, we're given detail through a variety of methods. Um, there's cargo cults, the Atakai. There's these weird intrusions into our reality with cults that spring up around them. Uh, there's the Men in Black, you know, the deeply creepy rendition of the urban legend, mm -hmm. reminiscent of the way they were first portrayed way back in Mage of the Ascension, before the technocracy got all touchy-feely. Um, <laughs> there's uh, numbers stations, uh, those broadcasting messages from a breed of ghost that make all the other specters in the world of darkness look tame by comparison. Uh, the quincunx, a freakish manifestation of number-based insanities from another dimension. I mean, this is great stuff, just great. More imagination in this chapter than in many other game lines. Uh, the final chapter is full of crunch, details for making pacts with these beings, it's rules heavy, it's very involved, new flaws and derangements, but it all ties in very well with the previous material. And it also wraps up with six new legacies, uh, one of which is left-handed, and a bunch of rather nifty spells and artifacts. So, uh, as an overview then, it's concept heavy, it's rules heavy, it's not light reading, in places it's just plain dense, uh, it deals with hefty subject matter, uh, the authors are well versed in esoterica and the material at hand in the shows in the text. So, is it any good? Of course. Yes, let me count the ways. Uh, simply put, it's fantastic. Its initial concept is actually rather bland. Uh, let's look at summoning spirits. Uh, wow. Really? Can I? <laughs> but then it gets going. And in execution, it's, it's just unbelievably imaginative. This wild concept piled upon wild concept. Uh, it's not for the faint-hearted, you know, it's one of the more in involved mage books I've read, but it's utterly engrossing and filled with more ideas than you can easily use in a single chronicle. Uh, and for players of old mage, uh, I'm an Ascension player through and through, and I can't wait to introduce this stuff into my Ascension game. It proves the, uh, the growing truth that the recent source books for Mage the Awakening are better Ascension source books than many of those that, released, that were released for Mage the Ascension ever were. Hmm. Fantastic stuff. Hey, Eddie, what do you have to say about this book? Um, I admit it wasn't a, a project I was closely involved with, but ever since I worked on Mind's Eye Theater, The Awakening, I've always kind of had um, my hand out towards the, the mage books and keeping an eye on the mage line as, as, a, as a personal kind of interest. And uh, I've just been really astounded at the stuff coming out, uh, the, the uh, Supernal Tarot book, Summoners, um, uh, just a lot of really, uh, uh, like Mark said, you know, esoteric, just weird coolness that I've just really been grooving on the past few books. 
Excellent. Yeah. So yeah, this one gets a. Uh, four, uh, I, I, I'm going to give it a nine. Nine although, out of ten. Wow. The, although I'm going to downgrade that to an eight because oh. guess what? What? There's no index. <laughs> Well, we'll get onto that a little bit later. <laughs> we won't. I knew that was coming. You had to know that one was coming. It is. It is filled with all sorts of strange terms and odd references and crazy stuff. That yeah, it's 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 a real lack uh, uh, lacking in index here. So, um, so if I was a new player and I was picking up my books, Mark, would you recommend this book for me to buy? I'm- well, I guess Mark does recommend this book. Uh, yeah, if you if you were a new player to Mage the Awakening, uh, I would recommend that you. Yeah, I'd recommend you pick it up simply because it gives you direct examples of how to use crazy stuff in game at the table right away. All right, so I would definitely pick that up. Grab it from Amazon or White Wolf directly. I'm sure White Wolf directly would appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, actually, uh, I think that pretty much wraps that up. Uh, anyone have any closing comments on this? Long awaited and a well worth the wait. Uh, fantastic book. Very, very good. Buy it now. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, we'll have to move on to our new section that we uh, both, Mark and I, have come up with us for helping new storytellers. I, I like this section, so here is this. And now it's time for Storyteller Advice with Mark and Vince. What do we got this week, Mark? <laughs> uh, <laughs> this week we're going to throw out some advice that has been riffing around the forums recently on dealing with mixed groups of supernaturals. Now this ball was kicked off by Dominic, who uh, is, is struggling with this particular thorny issue in his own games. Uh, yeah, um, I just want to just say, point out thanks to uh, Beckett and Boggett Knight, who have uh, posted quite a bit of information to help this uh, new storyteller out. He needed the information, and they did game jumping into it and helped him out big time. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we're going to... Is good stuff. We're going to tease a couple of their ideas out here and uh, throw them around. Now, I'll be, um, I'll declare my bias up front and say that I don't, I personally don't favor crossover games. Uh, certainly, th- I think the games have a, each one has a certain particular feel to it, mm. uh, and I find that crossing, uh, doing crossover games, ultimately, in the long run, kind of dilutes that. Uh, a little, a little crossover here and there is great. Well, um, but as, as as a regular chronicle, I don't think it would work for me. I, that's personal. I think that was the whole point of the New World of Darkness, that, that you can mix and intermix things now, because that whole stereotype from the original World of Darkness of how the vampires can't stand the, the werewolves, or the werewolves can't stand this, that's all just you gone. You make up your own stereotype as you base how you meet the people. Uh, Eddie, you want to put your Absolutely, two cents in yeah. there? Um, I mean, it's... it's it, I, I can't say it was necessarily designed with the, oh, yeah, throw all the stuff into a big box and run with it, but it was very much approached as a toolbox in the sense of picking things out and, and putting them together in certain ways. And actually, I think this ties well back to uh, the comment about population, um, because if you have a smaller game uh, focusing on just a few characters, then crossover is really less of a concern because you don't have that culture to really butt up against. Yeah. So I agree. So Dominic asked us, how does he bring his characters together that are different like a werewolf, a vampire and uh, a couple of people in the forums had uh, suggested that it probably it, well Beckett was pretty much saying it didn't work too well because uh, vampires can't really do, th- do anything during the daylight hours mm-hmm. so I mean what are they going to do they're going to sleep all day where everyone runs around and does all the work 
It's Netrunner yeah, Syndrome. Exa- Sorry? Yes, Netrunner exactly. Syndrome. <laughs> you guys are we're going to sit here. We're going to sit here while you uh, hack the, uh, the enemy's base, and then uh, yeah, and then we'll go exactly. in and have combat. Like, while, while yeah, everyone's going to go so, off and do anything else until the vampire wakes up, and then the vampires can do his own stuff where everybody else is sleeping. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, Beckett suggests two fairly easy house rules that you can use to get past this issue. Um, one, he says, you know, you could go with some of the original vampire legends and have the vampire able to stay awake during the day. Uh, they just can't use their vitae or heal with it, or maybe they have a similar handicap, like no, no disciplines. Um, Sorry, and he wonder? says, you know, a natural byproduct of this uh, kind of harken back, harkens back to the Nosferatu from Masquerade is the part might then have entire underground tunnels and chambers to get across the city or shelter during the day. Kind of a, a new type of Elysium, which he suggests Necropolis is an interesting name for it. The other option, which I, and this is what I think is great, uh, is to allow the vampire player to have a ghoul. And the ghoul then is a second character, and for the most part is playable when the vampire rests during the day. Um, which is a great idea. You know, your, your vampire has his ghoul, he... he you know, gets his head down when the sun comes up and uh, the ghoul comes out and runs around and that keeps the vampire in game. Uh, and he suggests that you could grant the vampire ghoul extra experience points, you know, maybe 175% of XP, uh, which they would then need to split between both characters. So essentially, they're getting less, uh, mm. but they, they do get to diversify a bit more. Which I thought was an interesting idea. Yeah. And, it's pretty uh, cool. I'm sorry, Eddie? It's pretty cool, especially if you're playing a vampire character that has uh, Dominate. You can possess the ghoul. Yeah. That's very interesting, too. Yeah, cool. Yeah, control the ghoul. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Uh, he, he also, Beckett also mentions Prometheans, um, you know, who, who can't stay really easily within certain geographical areas. Um, so he talks about, you know, you could take the entire game road, uh, which might cause problems for others, for vampires needing periodic blood, and mages wouldn't have their holy sites. Uh, but it might be workable. That could be good. Well, you have to um, say, he also suggested about, talked about hunters, too, and how hunters don't yeah. normally work with monsters. Well, I mean, you can always bend anything to do anything. I mean, just think of the TV shows like, uh, what was it, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy was had it? Angel. Yeah, yeah totally. Angel, he was, yeah. And think of uh, Supernatural. I mean, Sam on that show worked with the demon the whole friggin' fourth and third season, so anything's possible. Yeah. Um now, you know, uh, we, we mentioned a, m- a minute ago some of the, uh, the issues that, that existed in the old World of Darkness about crossover, uh, about, you know, werewolves hating, hating vampires on sites and mages just being weird guys that want to steal your fangs and claws and despoil your cans and fetishes. Uh, but he also pointed out that the old World of Darkness had something that the new world doesn't place much emphasis on, which is each game line had a group that had some sort of connection with another game line. So, for example, the Gangrel and the Guru, or the Tremere and the Mages, Cappadocians and Giovanni and Wraiths, the Assyrians and the Setites and the Mummies, uh, Malkavians, Ravnos, Chiasid, uh, linking to the Changeling. And the, these, these ties, these bonds aren't hard and fast, but they give you a little bit of wiggle room that you could use here which is quite interesting. Um, now, I always thought the Old World of Darkness was a, was a, it was a bit schizophrenic in this regard, um, in that the books tended to give the advice of, you know, you don't cross over games. The, the, at least that was the general feel I got out of, them, out of them personally. But at the same time, they'd give you a little page here and there saying, look, if you really want to do it, suggestions. And they were the most flimsy bones rules uh, uh, going at the time. Um, 
And yet it got this reputation of being a game where people were crossing over all the time. Uh, which, my understanding at least, is part of what informed the decision in the New World of Darkness to make it a bit more toolboxy, to make the lines easier to cross over if you, if you so decided. And I don't know if that actually reflects what happened in Wolf, but that was kind of the impression that I got there already. Well, um, I, I wasn't around when they started doing initial uh, development for World of Darkness, but I've talked to uh, uh, Bill Bridges and Justin off and on. This has had things come up, and I, I don't think it was necessarily along the lines of hey, players are using it this way, so we need to give them that mentality. I think a lot of it was more along the lines of the fact that with the old World of Darkness, you were functionally learning a new game every time you played a new game. The, the, the dice rolling yeah. was kind of the same, but everyone had their own little, you know, willpower was a little differently in this game, the devotees in that game, and so a lot of it was kind of more based on the idea of let's go ahead and put out a, a standard corset of rules that everyone uses and then expand on those rather than reinventing the wheel every time. Right, so you've got one core book for mortals, and then the templates get slapped on, depending on what you want to play. Exactly, and so it, I don't really think it was that long the line of, you know, we should totally make a game where werewolves and vampires hang out and fight crime. I don't think that was necessarily the intention, <laughs> but yeah, it has a side benefit of being very useful for that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, even though, you know, even though when... Dominic sent the, the question in. You know, initially, uh, my like I said, my my initial feelings are well, yeah, I'm not a big fan of crossovers. Uh, but being a bit of a think, there are there are a few ways you can make it work. You know, and 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 starting with mortals like the New World of Darkness does is a good way to do it. I think. You know, you make sure that the group comes together as a group of mortals and give them a strong personal bond with one another in their mortal lives. That'll make it much easier to hold the group together when they become supernaturals. Um, establish a common threat that is a problem to all of the supernatural beings in the game, you know, no matter what type. Now, although the big, bad, evil guy is a bit of a cliche, uh, it gives some thought to what kind of threat might cause different types of supernatural creatures to band together. Uh, this threat need not need, need be supernatural itself. You know, it might be something as simple as a mortal politician or police chief who police chief <laughs> who is determined to cl- to clean up the night. You know, uh, uh, as a public figure, the characters can't just easily kill him. And if he's a decent individual, they might not want to. Uh, but he could be a real thorn in their sides all the same. So, Mark, just to sum this all up, basically, you're the storyteller. Find a common ground and just roll with it. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly, that's the best way to, 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 to get it going. I agree, yeah. Anything's possible. You're the storyteller. You do what you need to do to have fun in your game. Remember, it's all about fun. It's not about rules. So rules that's lawyers, put right. your books away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Have any last words about this, Mark? Um, well, yeah, just that uh, um, for, a, for a, a more detailed look at this, uh, if you want to head on over to our forums, uh, you can find uh, Red. It's under the Darker Days section, and it's uh, just listed Storyteller Advice. And you'll find Beckett and Bog and Knight giving uh, some seriously well thought out and worked out uh, advice on this. Um, that you know, we could sit here and read it out to you, but we'd be here all night. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like Vin, like Vin says. Uh, um, keep it on your characters. Uh, keep it focused on their their personal ideas and their beliefs. Bring them together as mortals, and uh, and roll with it. Just roll with it. Yeah, that's all the fun of. That's the whole point and fun I found in White Wolf game systems is just have fun. Don't worry about the rules. 
They're just there to help certain situations out. This isn't Wizards of the Coast here. Oh, <laughs> taking a swipe at the big player. Very yeah. good. Well, you have to. I mean, you know, all those. I can't. You, if you see some of my threads in the forums about dealing with my group and how they're D and D heavy, coming to uh, World of Darkness, I have a lot of headaches. I'll tell you that. <laughs> all right, we'll we'll end this up now. And uh, thank you, Dominic, for the question. Any more questions? You can drop uh, Mark that email again, and he'll be happy to uh, answer. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And uh, uh, questions when they when they get addressed to us, we, we do put them in a big a big list, and we get down uh, down the list and work our way through them. And you'll see that your uh, your issues will get addressed in this section uh, as the shows progress. That's right. We put them in a big hat. Mark mixes it up and pulls one out. Each no, I'm just kidding. We answer all I, questions. I, I just I just I just wear the hat. It looks cool. You just you just wear the hat. Is there's a little white wolf logo on the hat too? Yeah. And, and a finger. Where's my hat, Eddie? Where's my hat? <laughs> Eddie? Hello, Eddie? Oh, sorry. I had mute on. <laughs> 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 I thought we lost you there for a moment. Yeah, there's this little mute button. It's, it's strange. It actually works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Speaking about Eddie, we'll go on to the questions and answer period, things that everyone's been waiting for. I just want to say uh, right off the top of the bat that we've taken some of the questions off the forums. Now, not every single question will be uh, answered because there's a lot that cannot be said at this time. But uh, we will ask the questions, and then, Eddie, you can just say, uh, I'm not allowed to just, you know, speak about that at this time. Or, you know, I plead the fifth. Uh, you know, I can either <laughs> confirm nor deny the following accusations against me at this time. I plead a Mark Furman or whatever. Senator McCarthy, I'm not a communist, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have uh, a whole bunch of questions here, and uh, Pengarth, who's Phil, our buddy, mm-hmm. has uh, two questions that are uh, we right now. And uh, the first question is on a lot of people's minds, and it's not what you think right off the bat, but I'm seeing tons of topics about a new, new world of darkness. Uh, do you mm-hmm. have any idea how this rumor started, or is there any truth behind this rumor? Um... One thing I can think of is how I got started is uh, the fact that we've been kind of circumspect about the fact that there's a new MMO in, pub- in production, um, and whenever we uh, some slowly leaking out about a big new project, and also uh, this has been a lot of other stuff going on that uh, I think a lot of people are kind of going, well, is, is there a new edition coming out? Is there a new kind of uh, a world of world darkness coming out? And Unfortunately, that's one of those questions I can't really answer directly. Uh, I, I can say that we've talked about it. Hmm. Uh, I, I know that um, uh, some of us kind of around the lunch table have talked about, it'd be cool if we could do this in the world of darkness and that in the world of darkness. Um, and some of that stuff has actually informed books that are coming out in the future. So uh, some ways of like, you know, hey, how could we how would we do Vampire the Requiem? Some of that actually ended up in New Wave Requiem, and some of that's going to be in future Requiem books. How will we change the World Darkness as a core book? Some of that uh, has inspired uh, uh, other upcoming World Darkness books. So I think we're always kind of talking about it internally, but the idea of, you know, absolutely, we're having a new book coming out, and this is what's coming out, and this is how big it is, none of that is anywhere on the table. All right. I mean, just stepping, stepping away from White Wolf as a company for a moment, uh, do, do you think it's an inevitability for a game company that has a, a successful line uh, where they produce a regular uh, a, a regular supply of supplements that sooner or later they're going to 
to have to go back to a new edition to revitalize the core line uh, to, to to go back to, to basics you know so they might just may simply have run out of ideas you know how many different types of supernatural can you can you write a game about for example mm-hmm. I mean, do, do you think it's inevitable or uh, yes absolutely I mean, from, from an RPG perspective um, yeah uh, any kind of company that does uh, like you say a core book and a lot of supplements uh, the traditional wisdom is about four to five years you're gonna have a new edition and so it's another reason why I might be out there is because we're, we're kind of up or about that stage but um, to be fair we kind of cheated a bit because we put out two or three new editions of stuff but kept the whole larger uh, Penelope going for over a yeah. decade so a That's lot of people true, lump yeah. the whole world darkness together but really there are whole, three whole editions that are lumped in that OWAD title so really and those are broken up to roughly five year sprints as well if you look at it that's true so, and, and, and the different carry on I'll say, um, uh, it's just that uh, part of the reason for that and I'll be honest there's creative reasons you know we've kind of done things we've five years in uh, companies very, very different places that were five years previously and want to look at it again but some of it also is, is financial um, when people buy the books you know you can keep them and use them as long as you want to and so and core books tend to be drive a lot of RPG sales so if you put a new core book out in five years then you can revitalize that game line new people are taking a look at it when they weren't looking at it before because of the previous edition and that really does help generate sales for the next chunk of lines so for just from a Outside of white perspective, but from an RPG perspective, talked to a lot of companies about this, and there is very much that kind of uh, edition churn model out there. Now, wouldn't it be, just yeah. be smarter just to like? Well, I would think, from a player point of view, this is mine, not your money-making point of view, but I, just <laughs> printing one large effing book with all the changes involved for each of the lines, as opposed to putting out brand new books with a brand new system. Wouldn't that make uh, sense? Well, th- th- a lot of it is uh, cross-referencing, too, because um, yeah. I, I used to play um, Starfleet Battles way back in the day. And wow. they would just say, they would, they would put out, like, you know, here's this quarter's updates. And so you have to poke out, you have the binder, and you have to take out these pages and put in the new pages. And the pages wouldn't quite line up. And sometimes uh, the breakdown would you know, cross-reference different sections. So you have to look up that particular number and flip the other page. And after a while, it just becomes really unwieldy. Um, I know... A TSR tried this with the Monsters Compendium as well. I tried to make do the same thing with Monsters to update. So, uh, yeah. the, uh, traditionally, it hasn't worked well. I think with new technology, there's certainly some in, some potential in the area of just you buy the PDF of the, art, the rule book, and then you know three months or uh, three years later, we have some core system updates. So you patch it like a video game. It's just okay. Here's the new PDF. There's certainly some potential there. I haven't seriously looked at the model for releasing an RPG that way, but the technology has certainly made it po- more possible than it was previously. Okay. Now you mentioned the uh, uh, World of Darkness on a moment ago. Do, do you know much about that? Are you in the loop on that at all? Um, That's the second question. Well, uh, not really, because uh, I, I actually, I'm, I'm obviously fully aware of it. We're, we're a lot of that development's going on the same building, and they're downstairs. I'm upstairs, uh, so I, I, I know what there's stuff going on. And occasionally, I sit in meetings and I go, "Wow, it's really cool." And then I go away for six months, and then I come back and go, "Wow, it's really cool again," because I have no idea what happened in six months. Um, but in terms of actually talking about it, uh, there's not a whole lot I can say. I, I, in fact, just a few weeks ago, I've been clear to even acknowledge that the freaking thing exists now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw there was a press uh, release yes, on the video it's game. Being, it's actually being made now. Uh, yeah, it's actually been, it's been being worked on for, for uh, quite some time, actually. And um, one thing I can say, uh, because this is not 
uh, secret information. Um, <laughs> people who have worked on the old world of darkness and the new world of darkness are working on this new game. Justin Achille being one of the most outspoken people about this. Uh, Bill Bridge is also oh, cool. working on the game. So the people that you followed for well over a decade, these are people that are working on the new video game. So it definitely is in very good hands. I can say that much at least. Okay, cool. That's all we can say about it. And at least people have a little update on what's going on with the uh, the game. Uh, Mark, you want to handle uh, Zorlock's questions? Yeah, uh, Zorlak had a uh, good half dozen questions. Yeah. Um, he he, a- he asks about uh, the Book of the Dead, if it's going to be covering zombies and that kind of thing. Uh, no, as far as I understand, Book of the Dead primarily is covering uh, the underworld, like you mentioned before with summoners. Um, it, oh, is a new reim- it is a new realm of uh, reality. Um, and it's actually been touched on in Mage, Changeling, and I believe a couple other smaller places. Uh, but those two definitely have ties to it, as well as Geist. So it's really more of a World of Darkness book. It's going to have a strong Geist slant, much like uh, Slashers for World of Darkness had a very strong Hunter slant, because it's very much appropriate for that particular game. But it's going to have relevance for a number of the other World of Darkness games. Right, good. Well, if it's going to be the Underworld, that's fantastic, because that, yeah, that was a brilliant section in Summoners. Good movie. Too. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that stuff because that stuff is uh, it's 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 mentioned in Geist's and it's going to be fleshed out more fully in that. So we, this is stuff we've been seeding for a while now. We've been wanting to find the right time to get this book out, and this was Geist was the perfect opportunity to bring that book out and really examine that area. Cool. Um, Zolak also asks, uh, are there going to be uh, any more new books for World of Darkness Innocence? Is that going to get uh, any more coverage? No. Um, we did do an SAS for it, uh, yeah. all, all, an adventure. Um, but uh, it was really designed as kind of a, an experiment. Uh, it was one of the things, that the advantages when we merged with CCP is that we uh, had the resources to look at some of these books that and try new things. And Innocence was definitely kind of an experiment in terms of how can we remix the uh, core book and, and try a new style of game. And Matt McFarland did such a fantastic job with that, but it, it, was never, it was never really intended to be a game line. It was more kind of a one-shot, uh, almost like Monica's World of Darkness. Here's a slightly different yeah. interpretation of the World of Darkness, but you would go back and apply the other World of Darkness games to flesh that out more. It's not gonna have, we're not going to have very many Innocence-specific stuff. That, that right. being said, some of the PDF stuff I have coming out... Um, will have some references to World of Darkness Innocence. Um, I know that mm-hmm. the big one I'm thinking right now is there's a PDF I just did some uh, commenting on, so it should come out really soon, called Proverbial Monsters. Mm. Uh, and in there, there's a lot of, here's nine monsters, and they're related to various proverbs, but there's also story ideas that go with them, and a few of them, because proverbs are very uh, a childlike thing, you, you, children say proverbs to each other, Don't, you know, step on a crack, break your mother's back, uh, <laughs> breaking your yeah. mirror, bad luck. And so some of that gets teased out, and if it's the world innocence game, here's how you can slap this monster for an innocence game. So there's a little bit of teasing out, very, very minor, but it is in there because it's still in my mind as I develop these kinds of projects that work well for crossover. Oh, cool. Nice idea. I like the whole Proverbs thing there. That's quite fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Zorlak asks another edition-based question. Is there going to be a third edition of Exalted? <laughs> <laughs> um, not at this time. We don't have any plans for a third edition of Exalted. Okay. Uh, he also asks, uh, "What are your favorite gaming systems?" And you know, World of Darkness, D twenty, Star Wars, Savage Worlds, D six, etc. Do you have a particular favorite system that you are enjoying? Question: Because <laughs> I, I'm such a gaming communist, I play so many different kinds of games, and uh, also it sucks because uh, I have a lot of friends in the gaming industry, and I'm huge fans of their products as well. So it's always like, "Yeah, I love your game," and then my other friend puts on their games. Oh, I love this game now too. Um, <laughs> 
I will say a couple things. One, uh, when I was interviewed, uh, I was asked what I thought was the best game system that wasn't put out by White Wolf, and the answer I gave at the time was um, uh, Savage Worlds. Okay. Uh, I really like how it approaches what it knows what it's trying to do. Um, it's not a generic system in the traditional sense. It very much has a firm style of gameplay that can be applied to a variety of worlds. It, and it, uh, Shane has aggressively pursued his vision of how the system works. Uh, he's brought in a lot of talented people to do the various uh, world books and, and, and uh, whatnot. Um, I talk a lot with Sean Fannin, who's been doing uh, his uh, the fantasy books for. Uh, um, Savage Worlds and has been working with uh, Shane on that. So um, I- I've been a big fan of Savage Worlds, but uh, I've also I've got Cyberpunk 2020 on my bookshelf. Uh, I got Top Secret SI on my bookshelf. The Marvel Superheroes, the original TSR game, I have that. Um, I also I pick up very new stuff. Like um, I just p- I picked up a Thousand Suns uh, and uh, Star Blazer Adventures, um, which are two okay. space opera games that they just came yeah. out last year. Um, I'm looking forward to the Doctor Who uh, role-playing game coming out for Cubicle 7. Um, yeah. I, I, I love uh, a lot of the new stuff coming out in the indie scene as well. So it's uh, we actually have a 316 game that we at, at work we play uh, at lunch oh. this week. I played that for the first time the other week. It was a lot of fun. It really is. And you know, it, it, and those kinds of games work really well for the one-hour sessions that we have for lunch. Um, a year back, we played Primetime Adventures. So, I mean, it, it, I, I just love the game. It really comes down to is I love gaming. Yeah. I love the idea of gaming. And so anything, is, I'll try any game once, usually. Primetime Adventures is fantastic. I had some of the best gaming ever playing that game. It's brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Um, his next question, um, I might not be understanding his question. I can read it one or two ways. Uh, it's, it talks about the scroll of Swallowed Darkness. Um, and he, he, he asks, we, you know, do we need it? And I'm asking, yeah, I'm not sure if he's asking, should this thing even exist? Or, my God, we really need this thing. Give us more. <laughs> so you can take that either way. Um, okay, for, for those listeners who don't know what happens, um, we did an April Fool's joke this year called uh, Triple Exalted Scroll Swall of Darkness. And the idea was it was uh, about 16 pages of a, of a fictional, non-existent book uh, that was all about, uh, we lovingly called internally exalted porn. <laughs> it was how to have sex in Exalted and die trying. And uh, we put it out there, and um, uh, our um, Aaron, our manager, made the unfortunate mistake of saying, if we sell 5,000 of these PDFs, we'll commission a book. And Brian Glass thought this was hilarious and told the whole internet this. And so, <laughs> and so now there's this thing out there. He's like, well, if, if they we sell 5,000 copies of their April Fool's joke, they'll do this book. And... Uh, Part of it is, I've tried to explain since then, is that um, if, if it happens, we'll certainly, uh, if it makes for a business plan, we'll hold to that. But um, the reason why that number was chosen is because 5,000 copies of PDF is really, really, really insane. <laughs> That's a lot, yes. That being said, uh, our fans are also really, really insane. <laughs> and uh, Scroll Swallow Darkness has actually been a number one bestseller for us for almost six months. <laughs> I guess that, that looks at another one of the questions we had. Uh, if, are you close to coming to that 5,000 mark? No, we're not. No. Uh, I, I can't talk about sales numbers. I can't give specific numbers, but uh, we're not very close to 5,000. But it's, um, it's a huge number for PDFs. It really is. It really is. And uh, nothing we've sold has reached 5,000 PDFs. I mean, it's, it's, it's an insane number. But again, um, I, I, every week I pull the sales digits, and I will say that it is one of the top two sales of all time for PDF for us. Wow. So, What's the other one? Can you say what the other one is? 
Um, it's uh, the uh, Imperfect Lotus, which is another Exalted product. Okay. Okay. And, and right. the main reason why that's ahead is because it had a two and a half year head start. Wow. So okay. <laughs> that's all the reason why it's higher up. <laughs> so you've got a good insight into the interests of your audience here, either way, whatever happens. Yes. Um, John Chambers has already <laughs> said he's planning his career path to pornographer now, so yeah, thanks exactly. for that. Cool. Um, just last two questions from uh, uh, Zorlak. Uh, what's your favorite White Wolf book, old or new? Um, again, it's one of those tough questions uh, because last, if you'd asked me six months ago, I was the Hunter's Individual without a doubt. If you asked me a year before that, I was the Changing the Lost without a doubt. And now I'm really kind of excited about Geist. But I don't think it's fair just because... Um, I'm so close to those projects as they get developed and go out there, so that's kind of a different style of what I'm excited about. Yeah. Um, if I were to stop work today and I would look back over my entire collection and say, wow, which game would I pick up and play right away? Um, I've always had fondness for either version of Ma- Vampire. I mean, I, I've been playing mm-hmm. Vampire back when uh, it was first edition. I mean, mm-hmm. so I, I've been playing it for almost 20 years. So it's a strong staple in my life. Many people look at D&D the way I look at Vampire. Beyond cool. that, if I had a second game, uh, Demon probably would be really strong up there. I, I really love the potential of Demon, and I always thought that it was unfortunate it never quite got uh, the chance to really explore that to the depth that some of the other game lines did. But Demon is such an intriguing and, and, and interesting game to me. Yeah, with Infernal put aside, is there any talk of any Demon coming? Well, you can't answer that one. Um, uh, honestly, uh, I will say that um, we did do the uh, World Darkness Inferno book, which covers demons pretty pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a little bit of a Demon of the Fallen homage uh, in terms of source material to that. Um, in terms of play style, Geist has a lot of Demon of the Fallen flavor in it. And one of the reasons why I'm really excited about Geist is because what I thought was cool about Demon, the idea of there's this creature that's in your head telling you what to do... Uh, it really uh, gets pulled out in Geist and Sin Eaters. So, uh, if you're looking for more of the New World Darkness Demon kind of flavor, Inferno is the way to go. If you're looking for that play style, Geist is the way to go. And honestly, you could probably easily mix them both up and, and get a really strong rendition of Demon of the Fallen and New World Darkness. So, I don't think we're going to re-examine that anytime in the near future. Okay. Well, when we did our we did our preview of uh, of Geist uh, when the Quick Start rules came out with uh, Rob from Bear Swarm, and this mm-hmm. this is one of the things that we we both touched on was that uh, it would be a really interesting way to to model uh, demonic possession or, or demonic interaction, but but just using the Geist rules. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I've got to agree with that. Absolutely, especially um, one of the when I, I ran a playtest of it uh, here, and uh, one of the ideas that came out of that was uh, the player asked me, "Is can I, can my Geist?" Can I think my guy is an angel? And I was like, yeah, sure, yeah. why not? But um, it started got my head thinking about, you know, uh, whether you have a game where angels legitimately possess the characters kind of uh, a bit a la Hunter the Reckoning, or if it's just Geist's, you know, bullshitting the, the characters and saying, you know, oh, oh, yeah, no, totally, I'm an angel, do what I say. It's, it's totally God's will. <laughs> um, you could do that really, really uh, easily with Geist Sanders. So, absolutely, that kind of possession style mm-hmm. gameplay is really, really possible to do with that game. Now, speaking about cool. Angel. I know this one's always come up in a lot of forum topics. Was there ever any talk, all World of Darkness or new, about an angel line to go with the demon line, or no? Um, you know, I don't know about uh, Old World Darkness. I know that, uh, interestingly enough, uh, Geist was almost an angel game. Uh, very briefly, how the story worked out is uh, Ethan pitched two games, which is an angel game and uh, a ghost rider game, which became Geist. 
and there's a lot of argument over it, and basically one thing that they, they both liked was that of supernatural creature possessing human, and so Ethan kind of took people up by the core concept and then rewrote both pitches with that core concept in mind, and then they gravitated towards Geist. So with the New World Darkness, we did consider the possibility, but we thought that Geist was a stronger product, and a lot of what they wanted to do with Angel, we could do with Geist and add even more flavor on top of that. So, Yeah, and it's, it's, it's fairly easy to reskin it as an Angel game, like you say, so it could be kind of cool. Exactly. And last question from... Uh, Zorlak, uh, what's your favorite color? My favorite color is blue. I have no Good. idea if that's true. I just made that up. Okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. We have another set of questions by Thantrax. Is that maybe how you pronounce it? Thantrax? Thantrax, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Uh, you already answered his first questions about the uh, uncensored version of the Scrolls of All Darkness. Mm-hmm. About the 5,000 mark. Uh, you said you really couldn't comment on sales, so that's already <laughs> off. But uh, he wants to know about a little bit more about the Geist uh, supplement books because uh, he was at Gen Con and he heard there was going to be uh, no supplements going on with Geist. Is that true? or they gonna uh, be Yeah, that's more pretty sp- much true. Uh, as I mentioned, Book of the Dead is going to be uh, very Geist-flavored, but it's not specifically a Geist book. Okay. Okay. And there was a teaser ad in the back of the Geist book, but it had no date, and it's for uh, next year's limited line release, or is that something sooner, or... Uh, that is one of the things that I actually cannot talk about. Um, okay. What I will say is that, uh, um, kind of step back a bit. Uh, some people have kind of criticized how we've marketed Geist, for example, and I've had some, uh, Kelly, who's our marketing director, is a good friend of mine, and one thing she's always trying to do, and one of the reasons why we get along so well, she's always trying to innovate and try new things for marketing, and the, the ad in the back is one of those, because we have a tradition of, of putting the ad in the back of the book, but we've noticed the past few years that people just get it so fast, then we might as well just announce the game. So one of the things we're trying with the ad this time is rather than announcing a particular game, we're announcing, uh, we're kind of very vaguely hinting to our long-term plans for overall. Uh, what we're, we're, as a publishing company, some things we're thinking about, all things are born from darkness, is very much an homage to how we're, our thinking is going long-term. So it's not a reference to a particular game, it's a reference to a lot of things that will be coming out overall in the next year. That is so tantalizing, what you're doing there. It's really interesting to hear. Good, huh? <laughs> yeah. That was, good. That was cool. a good official answer. Good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice <laughs> All right, we have uh, a couple questions from uh, Beckett who in our forums. Uh, Mr. Beckett, uh, uh, Mark, do you want to handle his questions? Go ahead. Yeah, he says um, he's not sure if he's confusing this with another White Wolf interview, uh, but he he's talking about uh, the idea of adding a meta plot to the new world of darkness um mm. now you know old world of darkness was you know famed or reviled or applauded or whatever notorious yeah for having a, a very strong overarching meta plot through most of his game lines and recently i've noticed people are starting to tease one out of the new world of darkness i don't know if you go to rpg.net at all there's a really interesting there's a great thread going on there oh, where yeah. some where they've you know they've gone through all the vampire books for for requiem and and try to to piece together what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, I mean, is this is this slowly creeping into the new world of darkness, or is it always kind of been lurking there in the back? Or uh, It's not so the much a case answer, of extremes. But. The short answer is that Rich Thomas has forbidden me from using the word metaplot to describe our products. Okay, it's a banned <laughs> word, right? <laughs> yeah, we're not allowed to talk about metaplot. And the reason why is because um, metaplot is quite literally a plot that uh, arcs between a variety of products. And yeah. that's technically true for some of the stuff we're doing, but it's not what people think of when they think of White Wolf Metal Plot. Right. 
So uh, it's more accurate to say that we are drawing connections between our products. Because one thing that uh, some criticism we got on early on and we decided was fair is that the books were too toolkit. They were too distinct, and there wasn't any connection between the books. And one thing we've been trying to do the past few years is tease out connections without just saying this is a plot that you must follow. Because we still believe very strongly that the coolest and best plot is the one that you're running at your table. Pants down, period. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, absolutely, there was a plot between uh, the five clan books that Will Hindmarch, the original vampire developer, uh, put in place, put in motion. And it's been really interesting to see uh, how many things that people have said, drawn the connections to, and we go, absolutely, yes, that's intentional. Um, and some things like, wow, really? We didn't expect that at all. Sure, we'll say it now, say that that's connected. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I, we've, we've been going forward with that. Um, we've been, Hunter was really strong in mentioning other game lines, and also we started putting Hunter references in books before Hunter was finally released. Yeah. We did that again with Geist. Um, there's a lot of that, especially in the test and the launch this PDF I did. Uh, there's a, a book of, uh, it's basically uh, the Eschaton, which is basically the revelations for vampires. And so there's a lot of references to Requiem for Rome, to Geist, to a variety of uh, some Hunter references, and it was meant less as in these things are all true, but more because it is vampire philosophy along the lines of you pick and choose which revelations you want to use, and then you bring those parts of the game into the into your chronicle how you see fit, or just say it, it's all bollocks and doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know certainly with the old World of Darkness games, uh, and myself, I know another few other storytellers as well. Uh, took it as a as a toolkit and and pulled the old world of darkness apart and put it back together you know in a, in a toolkit approach that is very similar to what's going on these days but what i think is a great strength of the new world of darkness is they're explicit about it you know the mm-hmm. designers are explicit in the game books kind of going here take it break it use it abuse it do whatever you want uh, and Requiem especially, um, one thing that's been... Uh, we actually don't do as much of the other game lines, but Requiem, one thing that's really strong, I think, about it is the fact is it specifically reinvents itself in some respects. Uh, the Chronicler's Guide was probably the most uh, overt example of saying, here's how you could twist and turn and crunch your game into exactly the shape you want for your Chronicle. Yeah. Some of the other games have been uh, less overt about that. Um, I think Mage the Awakening is a really strong kind of vision for the world that we don't really muck about with too much. But, uh, I, I, but you're absolutely right. Uh, very much is an intention of here's a bunch of cool stuff and pick and choose what you want. Um, I know Chuck Wendig's been very open about saying that he doesn't expect people to use every compact conspiracy in Hunter the Vigil because frankly there's a ton of them. There's almost like 24, I think. And there's oh huge amounts yeah. of those organizations. He doesn't expect them all to show up in New Game Worlds. Really just pick up the ones that make the most sense for your chronicle and roll with those. Yeah. Cool. Okay, Beckett's second question. Uh, he, also, he wants to know if there are any more books like uh, Immortal in the works. He says he tends to actually like those more than any of the core books. So I guess he's um, referring to the, to the more standalone games uh, like Geist or Innocence or whatever. Uh... I- in the works, um, I can't. I, I, off the top of my head, I don't think there are. But we did a whole bunch of those recently because we did. There's like been I a lot. Yeah, that's true. Um, the Night Horrors line really is, in some respects, kind of uh, taking a particular game line and showing it in a way that other game lines can use. Um, it, it's not really just the big book of NPCs, but also it's how do you change in a vampire game? How do you change in a, in a mage game? And I know the upcoming Wicked Dead. Uh, specifically reinvents vampires in a way that's not necessarily Requiem-specific. Oh, okay, so, cool. 
Um, the idea of the one book race books, I don't think we have any more currently plans, but it's, it, it's definitely something that seemed to get them attention, and I know a lot of the guys who developed and had fun working on them, so yeah. uh, it's possible we can look at that again. Cool. Well, you've touched on this a, a couple of times already, um, but Beckett mentions it himself. Uh, he says he's, he's, he's got the impression that, uh, uh, that certain people, a number of people, aren't so pleased with Vampire the Requiem uh, over time compared to the other core books uh, like Mage the Awakening. Um, you know, and it, specifically because uh, Vampire the Requiem was the first. Uh, sure. And it has mechanics in it that uh, maybe have since been refined, or uh, that other lines have improved on. You know, like in Mage, you get separate experience points for your magic and your power stat. Um, mm-hmm. And he's saying he's not sure if all the books need a revamp, but he thinks that Vampire the Requiem could really use one. Now, I know you've touched on this, uh, you know, the idea of reinvention and the idea of uh, the game progressing over time. But I don't know if there's if there's anything there. Uh, that you'd want to comment on. I mean, uh, uh, actually, another, I another edition of Requiem is, is probably not going to happen, but along the road. I, I did uh, interview on my own uh, uh, podcast, uh, which is the White Wolf Blogcast, which you can find on iTunes. And uh, I, I talked to Justin. Originally, the question was about why we go from 13 clans to 5 clans, but it ended up just being me, a conversation between me and him just kind of bullshitting about uh, Requiem. And one of the things I asked him is, if you could do it all again, would you do it differently? And he said, absolutely. I would, I would do it very differently because... Because it was the first game, there was very much a lot of we need to keep enough of the original vampire game so people make the jump, make the transition. Yeah. And uh, so the other games following Vampire have had the luxury of being able to deviate more and more and focusing really on the core gameplay as opposed to names like Gangrel and Venture and Bruja. Uh, and, and Vampire never really had that opportunity. So I know that at least, from, and I've talked to. Uh, uh, Joe Carricker, uh, the current Vampire developer, as well as uh, Russell Bailey, who does a lot of Vampire work. And uh, they both have always been trying to push further and further. The plan books were also very much a strong attempt to kind of push and see how far Requiem can really go. Um, yeah. And I did a little bit of that myself with New Wave Requiem, which was the 80 source book. So um, I think internally, we, uh, we believe that it, it was still the best decision to make at the time. Um, if it makes sense for us to do Requiem Second Edition, I mean, uh, I think there's a strong interest internally, but again, it's. Uh, a very much something that long term we can't really discuss on any kind of meaningful level. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then Beckett's last question. Uh, he he just mentions a D and D book, the D and D third edition book, uh, Unearthed Arcana, which was mm-hmm. a collection of alternate rules for different styles of play. Um, a, a really fantastic book, actually, one of the best D and D third edition books that came out. Um, has White Wolf ever considered doing a book like this? You know, offering yes. up say rules and tweaks for playing World of Darkness as a superhero game, or in the future or uh, a city that vampires, rules, and mages all live under the same political rule and interact more commonly. You know, sections on how to properly merge crossover chronicles and what to expect uh, and that whole kind of thing. Uh, absolutely, we've considered that. Um, uh, I will say a couple things on that. One is, if you've looked at uh, the new Armory book, Armory Reloaded, yeah. uh, there's actually a really good section there about combat tweaks. Uh, how to, how to right, change yeah. your chronicle for various kinds of combat. Um, and... Uh, we do have a product in the works, I can't say more than this, but we do have a product in the works that looks, takes that idea and flushes it to the world darkness as a whole. Okay. Oh, okay, cool. Well, uh, we, we have three more questions for you, and then we could uh, let you go for today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you about submissions. Your name is tagged up there for all the submissions to White Wolf about you know fiction writers, game writers, or whatever. 
Now, what advice do you have for the wannabe writers out there when they're handing in their, their game or fiction ideas? And what's the worst submission you've seen handed in? I mean, you don't have to give you know specific information, but just you know general information about that part. Uh, well, the first, uh, if people uh, read my Twitter or my Facebook, they will have seen recently me asking questions why people don't read the submission guidelines. Because <laughs> I had three submissions in a row in one day that did not follow the submission guidelines, and it just drove me insane. Um, so definitely the first – for any company that you submit to, and I think all my peers agree on this, is that if the company has submission guidelines, please, for the love of all that is holy or unholy, follow them. Yeah. Because not only is it a convenience factor for us because – I mean I, I get on average uh, three or four submissions a week, and that's, that's a huge amount of, of things I have to wade through. But also there are some legal concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a th- – form people have to sign and it, it protects submitter and ourselves if that form is signed legally and so if people submit without that form which is the most common complaint I have I, I have to delete it unread I, I have to destroy it I cannot legally have any record of it available to me Okay. so uh, and the reason why is because if uh, say I'm in the process of working on um, we'll say Exalted 3rd Edition and uh, someone submits to me a rule for Delta 3rd Edition that exactly mirrors what I were doing. If I have that on my system, they could legally try to sue us for saying that we stole his idea, even if we had previously established it. Now, he'll probably lose that case, but he has a, a potential case there. And while I don't think any of our fans would really do that, the point is is we have to make sure that our developers can... Kick, we kick around ideas internally and not have to worry about some random fan has sent us this email and it happens to correspond with what they said, and now we have a legal problem. So it makes it easier for us if we could just say, you know, you give the idea to White Wolf to use as they see fit. Um, and on the other hand, that also it protects the, the writer because then we can really seriously look at their product uh, as pitched rather than having to worry about all the legal ramifications of, well, it's kind of like this product, the other product. We could say, you know, hey, I'm going to put you under a non-disclosure agreement and then seriously talk about your proposal and how it affects our game line rather than having to worry about all the legal concerns of how much do we tell them, do we even bring them involved, do we say anything, do we acknowledge we got this because it happens to be close to what we think. So mm-hmm. that's definitely important. But all the legal crap aside, um, really it's uh, just a matter of uh, basic stuff that a lot of people forget. Um, uh, make sure it's well-written. Make sure it's not just spell checked, but read through and properly edited. Uh, make sure it's your uh, your best possible work. Take uh, an extra day or two to work on it. Um, read it out loud and see how it sounds. It sounds crazy, but one thing I've been learning from working on my fiction podcast is reading it really helps to find problems with it. And just make it look the best it can because that really will put you to the middle of the pack right there. Just having something that's well-written and... Uh, Obviously, someone's taking time and effort in is going to stand out to me because I do get a lot of things that aren't that way. So no. really, just take extra, take extra effort. It really helps. So, I mean, it's, it's really interesting that the questions come up because we got an email just a couple of days ago from a listener uh, who uh, he says he's emailed White Wolf actually looking for advice on how to submit things. I don't know if it's if it's gone to you. It may well have done so, uh, but he also asked it on a more general level. You know, what's a good way to to break into game design uh, in general? You know, and I'd guess in the old days you'd, you'd write for the magazines, but uh, they're not there anymore for the most part. 
Yeah, packing. really nowadays it's uh, the independent scene is the best way. That's how actually I got in. Is uh, I worked on a game called Cartoon Action Hour. Uh, it was oh, me that's and, right, yeah. Uh, Cynthia, Cynthia Miller, and we worked on that. And then I, uh, from there, I was able to kind of get some traction going. And I talked to a couple of the game companies. They gave me small assignments like uh, the Red Dwarf RPG and the WWE role playing game. And then that just built oh, up and built yeah. up and built up. And eventually, uh, White Wolf approached me and said, "Hey, we like to have you just work for us." And then. I was lucky enough to get hired, which was just a fantastic opportunity. But um, you're right. Uh, before, you'd write for Dragon Magazine. You'd write for Dungeon Magazine. You'd write for Polyhedron Magazine. And that would be the best way to get your name out there and show that you can write things. Nowadays, uh, put out a PDF supplements. Um, excuse me. Uh, work on your own kind of RPG. Uh, and just explore. And, and also talk to other developers. Go to places like Gen Con. Get a good resume together. Uh, it, it's not... The only real barrier to getting in the RPG industry now, I think, is the fact that there's so many good writers out there and just not enough work to go around to everybody. Yeah. So the biggest problem is, is is you're competing against a lot of talented writers. So anything you could do to show that you are a talented writer for a particular company or for a particular style of gameplay will help put you ahead of the pack. It's saying, I write good RPGs is great, but saying, I write good RPGs for Shadowrun, that's going to get Cal's Game Lab's attention. Saying, I write good g- games for Mage, that's going to get my attention. So being able to say, I know this product, I know it well, I can write for your product, will really help to put you ahead of the pack. Cool. Okay, and uh, probably one of the biggest complaints that we've had in our forums, and I've seen it on White Wolf uh, forums as well, is what's the deal? Why Are you guys afraid of indexes? <laughs> See, I knew this was going to come up. You know that's going to come up. I mean, come oh, on. Yes. We were looking in the back of each book to find something, and there's never an oh. index. So what's going on? <laughs> uh, there's actually uh, a couple of very good reasons for that. Uh, one, and uh, to be honest, I was just surprised to hear this as anybody else. Uh, people who make indis- indexes, uh, indices, uh, it's actually a specific profession, and they are expensive. They can rightfully charge a lot of money to professionally index things. Uh, separately, as someone who has written an index for RPG books, they suck to write. It is a lot of work <laughs> to do it well and to do it consistently. So, generally speaking, we tend to reserve that for core books. Because, from a development perspective, um, it makes the most sense to devote uh, resources either of uh, developers or writers doing it themselves, which is just a lot of onerous, tedious work, uh, or hiring an industry to actually do it themselves. I don't think we've actually hired an industry directly, but I know other companies have. Um, it, it, it's, it's, a very, it's a very specialized task, and it's very hard to do, and it's very boring, and it's very tedious. Um, and it is probably the root canal of game design writing is one thing I absolutely hate to do myself. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, I have helped my compatriots to cheat a bit because now they know that people can just buy the PDF and do searches on keywords. So we don't yeah. have to do index. Or they can just search on PDFs now, which is not quite fair. Um, so, I mean, I know that uh, I believe John still does them for all the manual results of power books. Uh, even though they're not core books, they're still big uh, fat splats. Um, and there's because, like, I think believe, I believe Innocence had one. Um, I know that Mind's Eye Theater Awakening had one, and my God, I'll never do that again. <laughs> um, so I mean, we we are, we have been doing them more. I, I think it's much like Page XX. People see it and go, "Yeah, White Wolf sucks at that." And, and really, um, if you look at the scope of how we've evolved as a company, I think we do indices more, and we do do them better than we have previously. Um, we do have a lot less page XXs than we did previously. We are yeah. we do notice that we do improve them, but unfortunately, it's so much part of our corporate culture now 
Uh, that's a buzzword. It's so much a part of uh, <laughs> what it means to be White Wolf product of the page XX references, of the lack of indices, using D10s. That stuff is so ingrained with our products now that when people just kind of expect them. So it's a bit. Uh, we could be better about it, absolutely. Um, it's definitely something that we could always improve on. I completely agree. Um, but it is something that's just not fun to do. It's very expensive, and I think we're doing it better than we have been. Well, it's definitely better than it used to be. My my favorite White Wolf Index is the one for Mage, uh, the Ascension Revised. When I was looking for a particular uh, rule about paradox spirits and blah, 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 I eventually found it in the index under R for rules. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I thought it was great. Yes. Uh, although, actually, um, I, I, I admit, the reason, one of the things that help you pass the time for writing indexes is putting jokes in there. And uh, there's uh, one notorious one uh, in... Uh, the Laws of the Wild, which was uh, Lassie Fetch, which led to the rollover gift. Oh, the cool. One, the one I worked in was uh, Page XX, actually is in uh, Mage the Awakening, uh, My Technique Awakening, which leads to the Memory Spell. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Just stick it all under W for words. Yeah. <laughs> I still like that, Mark. Stuff. R for rules. <laughs> The R for rules is the best one, though. Yeah, that's funny. Okay, let's wrap this up with one final question. And, uh, actually, I had asked this to uh, Matt. If you could be a household appliance, which one would you be and why? Uh, you know what? I don't want to say this, but it's really true. Is my iPhone. <laughs> I cannot live without my iPhone these days. <laughs> okay, an iPhone. It knows huh? everything. It knows everything. I, I push a button and it tells me what I need to know. It's like, thank you, iPhone. I didn't know that. I didn't know I needed to be in this place one day. That's awesome. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's going to wrap our show up for this week. Uh, Eddie, thanks for stopping by this week for us and uh, answering all our questions. Uh, if oh, someone wanted to get in yeah, contact thank, with you. Thank you very much. That was good fun. How can they get in contact with you, Eddie? Um, uh, best way to get a hold of me is uh, I on the forums. I am uh, Eddie Fate at E-D-D-Y-F-A-T-E. Um, my email address is uh, eddie at white-wolf.com. Again, it's spelled E-D-D-Y. And uh, also, I'm on RPG now under Eddie Fates. Uh, I'm on Twitter under Eddie Fates. Uh, really, just do a search on Eddie Fate, and you'll probably find me in a multitude of websites all over the web. Okay, and if you have any other questions for him, you can always email us at... Uh, Mark, what's our email address again? Darkerdaysradio at gmail. Dot com. I just like to hear you say it with the pause. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you can always check us out at our website, darkerdays.tk. Click on the little forum link in the right-hand corner or go to wildgamesproductions.com slash forums with an S and check us out there. Uh, you can also there. follow me on Twitter, which I just opened up a new account, uh, alucardd20. That's my Twitter account. I do have a live journal account, but I haven't been using it as of right now, so... I just use Twitter to stalk Clive Barker. It's great. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Drop us a line and we'll be happy to answer any of your questions or whatever you need. This is Vince signing off for Mark and Eddie. Uh, this is the Darker Days podcast. Episode number Ocho, the unofficial, official podcast for Nightwolf. Good night, folks.
Mm. Are they gone? I know I've gone. I left them and he started playing the music. (laughs) (laughs) Guess what this is, folks. Our first ever after show. (laughs) Music is awesome. (laughs) The X fucking rules. That's right, baby. Well, uh, it's a nice, nice little interview there, Eddie. Thanks for that, man. That was cool. Yeah. Oh, not a problem. That was really a lot of fun. Well, we decided to do an after show because I know a lot of people had asked us to uh, talk a little bit more about us as opposed to uh, just White Wolf and the game. I mean, Mark, you just went on vacation with your wife. And how was how was your vacation? Oh, it was fantastic. It was me, the wife, the three kids. Uh, We went over to Holland, where we used to live. Um, On the first day, we chilled out. Second day, my daughter went off for two weeks with my sister and my parents. A week after that, my eldest son went off to France to see some other relatives. So it was just me and the wife and the two-year-old chilling out for two and a half weeks. (laughs) That was fantastic. (laughs) That was really good. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, you know, kids are great, and I love them and all. Uh, but a week and a half in the middle of the summer, uh, with a bit of peace and quiet, you know, you, you can't really complain about that. That's true. I've, uh, in the past couple of weeks while you were away, just been sitting around uh, doing nothing. Well, no, I shouldn't say nothing. I've been harassing everybody at White Wolf like Eddie's to come on our show. <laughs> I get back and there's like three interviews lined up, one after the other. Like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have uh, Chuck Wendig coming on the show and Stu Wilson coming on the show. Sweet. Cool. Both uh, great writers for Hunter the Vigil line. I'm really looking forward to speaking to both of them because I really love that Hunter line. Mm-hmm. But that's for another show and another time. <laughs> and Chuck's just a lot of fun. I mean, uh, I, I did an interview with him as well, but also I just I got a chance to actually hang out with him in person at Gen Con last year, and we get along way too well. It was disturbing. Cool. Well, when we mentioned it on the forums, uh, people got very excited about Chuck. Oh, Chuck's coming on the show. Okay, cool. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, Hunter is such a popular line. I mean, I, I love Hunter. I know I couldn't stop playing it when I played Hunter the Reckoning, so when Hunter the Visual came out, it was obvious by that crack line book. <laughs> Interesting note, I don't know if you know this, uh, actually, uh, Hunter the Reckoning is where Chuck got to start with us. Really? Yeah, that's one of the reasons why we talked to him for doing uh, Hunter the Visual, because, like, hey, you did a crazy Hunter thing last time, do you want to do a crazy Hunter thing this time? And he's like, hell yeah, I do! <laughs> awesome. Yeah, unfortunately, one of uh, one of my friends had passed away while you were gone, Mark. Uh, I had to go to a funeral, so that was a sad note that uh, happened. Did you? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. There's he was a good guy, I mean, entering. and he uh, he left behind a wife and two small kids, so, I mean, I had oh, to go that's up awful. there. Oh, that's awful. I've known him for a good ten years, and he was actually the person that uh, had married my wife and myself, so. He had oh, a big, oh, wow. Yeah, he had a big oh. part in my life. Oh, condolences, Vince. That's awful. Yeah. So, anyway, on some a little more positive news. <laughs> well, I actually don't have any positive news. I'm going to be sitting for the next two days <laughs> editing oh, our sitting show. Sitting in the dark, going blind. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I do, for your your uh, happiness, Eddie, I did have uh, Slashers and Witchfinders ordered in, is in my living room right now. Sweet. I uh, really wanted those two books, and I finally got a chance to jump on uh, Amazon and grab them. One thing I love about Witchfinders, um, uh, if you've flipped through it yet, but there's uh, some advanced armory stuff in there for uh, Task Force Valkyrie, and 
there's one in there, it's like a one-dot advanced armory thing, but it's my great arguments to everyone who's like, Mage is so overpowered, you can't possibly kill mages. It's a hockey puck. And there's a slice of psychic brain in there. And what they do is they, the electrodes go through the piece of psychic brain and it sets up these little psychic emanations. And so you put it like in the middle of a crowd, and the guy that looks down at the hockey puck, you shoot that guy. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's so awesome. So yeah, oh, which matters is full great stuff. Um, what else? What else did I have? Um, let's see. Um, yeah, I got those books. I'm gonna be building my house along with you, Mark. Is there some rent available in that area? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you get your own house built out of books, Vince. I got mine right here. Well, I was thinking maybe to make a lot next to yours. You know, <laughs> that way you make it easier to do a show. I'll just knock on your. Yeah, no, actually, that's that's the solution. That's the solution we're looking for. I'll, I'll is knock... to build them next to each other. So uh, keep doing the show. I'll knock on your hunter book to get inside the door. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my wife actually decided to go back to school finally, so uh, she's going to school right now, and she's not home right now, so I'm alone. Without what's she going to study? What's she doing? And she's studying uh, medical. She's going to the medical field, office, um, office medical technology, I think it's called. Oh, cool. So she's going into that. I'm at home alone and uh, without cooking and <laughs> and uh. lost. <laughs> <laughs> So um, uh, I'm surprised that I'm still awake, to be honest, on account of it being almost two in the morning here. Oh yeah, <laughs> that that big difference in the UK, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, normally it, it wouldn't bother me at all, but we 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 partied pretty hard the last couple of days in Holland, and then we had to drive back and then get home, and there's still suitcases everywhere and no unpacking. And where in the UK yeah. are you at? Uh, I'm near Cambridge. Oh, okay, I've, I've been to Cambridge before. Wonderful place. Oh, yeah? Yeah, oh, it's um, nice. a friend of, Very yeah, a friend of mine was uh, going to school there, so we went over to his for, I think it was the second time we went over, um, and he he knows that I'm a huge bibliophile, and he's just like, you know, oh, I'm going to take you to a couple of bookshops, and then so he takes me around this row of bookshops, and it's just like, oh my god, this is so amazing. <laughs> there are some fantastic old uh, antiquarian bookshops here in Cambridge, it's Absolutely. really nice. Mm. Um, yeah. Isn't one of, um, one of the developers from the UK, isn't Stu Wilson from the UK? Uh, yeah, Stu and uh, Wood both are uh, in Wales, I want to say. Oh, well, no, okay. actually, I, don't, I don't know if Stu's in Wales. I know Wood's in Wales. Okay. You, you mentioned one guy was in Edinburgh. Yes. Yeah, I think Stu's in Edinburgh. That's right. Is that Stu, yeah? Okay. Oh, yeah. cool. Who happens to be a listener of our show, as he has pointed out to me when I spoke with him. A Stu. man of inestimable taste, clearly. That's right, Stu. You know who to listen to, baby. <laughs> <laughs> as he now just pauses his iPod and says, never again. <laughs> I actually expected an email from him going, Which out yourselves in Wales for? I'm sorry, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Uh, Wales, Wales, Scotland, you know, every other person in England gets them confused. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't tell the Welsh or Scottish that, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bloody Celts. Well, looks like... <laughs> looks like we're looking at almost two hours for this show, guys. Oh, my God. So, uh... Yeah, it's a bit long. It's a, it's a bit long, but uh, it's we were on vacation for quite a long time, so you know it's well deserved. We'll be back next week with uh, a great interview again, and then another again, and then Mark and I will be on vacation for a little while again. But we've been releasing a whole bunch of shows. Oh, so, we're recording them back to back these three weeks. Yeah, we're going to record back to back and get them out of the oh, way. Oh God! <laughs> so be ready, Mark. Hope you don't need sleep, Mark. No, sleep is for the week. Yes, that's right. So I'm going to say good night now. Uh, Eddie probably needs to get. Back to his family, and uh, Mark needs to get to bed and stop playing uh, Left 4 Dead. Oh, I haven't played since I got back. That's a good idea. Uh, Mark. 
cool. Great. All the Americans are becoming online now. It's, it's a handy time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good night, everybody. All right, <laughs> <Later's>. Good night. <laughs>